Super Talk Mississippi media production. Or free record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, good Monday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another week of the Eagle Hour on the Super Talk Radio Network. We're glad you're with us. Wherever you're listening around the state this afternoon, or if you're listening online, welcome uh, to another edition of our program. We're glad to have you. Bob Getty, Luke Johnson. First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. Opening segment of today's show sponsored as it is every day by Dickie's Barbecue Pit, proud supporters of Southern Miss, and, of course, the Eagle Hour. We appreciate uh, their support very much. Remind you, they're open seven days a week. You can enjoy their delicious, uh, fresh-cooked food through the drive-thru, through the take-home. Limited seating, again, uh, in their dining room, but uh, gradually uh, getting back to full capacity. And uh, right now, uh, whether it's full or not, you can enjoy delicious uh, Dickie's Barbecue seven days a week, and we hope you will do that. Kelly Sander will join us later in the show. He's on his way back, actually, from uh, Atlanta. He picked a heck of a weekend to go there, I think, uh, when I talked to him today, Luke. He was kind of happy to be back in the state of Mississippi. Uh, so we'll look forward to talking to Kelly later. Spud Alford's about to join us, CEO of Zelo Sports. Uh, he does board games. He writes books. He was an Olympic athlete. Lots to talk to him about it. Of course, he has a Southern Miss connection. But first, Luke Johnson, a happy Monday to you. Happy Monday to you, Bob. Uh, it's been a tough weekend. Um, just seeing what's going around the country. We may talk about that a little later in the program. But, uh, man, just thankful it's a, a new week and the sun is shining here in downtown Laurel. A new week. I see a medical worker coming out of a Corner Market Food Store with her green scrubs and matching green uh, mask. Uh, only women could uh, could start matching their masks to their outfits. But uh, this lady is just per- <laughs> she's perfectly matched and uh and uh, looking good to start a Monday afternoon. All right, Spud Offered, uh, as I said, is the CEO of Zelo Sports. Uh, he has created bo- sports board games. He's just written a book called God, If You Are Real, An Olympic Dream, Cancer Nightmare, and Creation of Finger Football. And I understand that talking to you before we came on the air, you're a, an Olympic athlete. You were a boxing champion. Uh, is there anything you haven't done, Spud? Um. God. Can't think of anything right offhand. But <laughs> I think I've just—it's uh, been a diverse journey thus far, and uh, I can tell you, I'm about to turn 65 June 30th, and I am actually training for uh, the World Masters Games. I, I made a massive mistake. By, I'm still competitive by nature, and I googled just to see what the time was for the world record 100 meter dash for a 65 year old, and it's 12.83. Now, when I was 24, I ran a uh, 10-8, which is about a 9-900-yard dash. And my brain thought, you know what, I can beat this thing. So I'm training, so we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Well, before we get into all of that, let our listeners know your connection to, uh, to Southern Miss. I understand it's pretty extensive. Well, my dad uh, retired from um, the United States Air Force at Lockburn Air Force Base in Ohio and end of my junior year. 
And he said, we're going to move south to be around relatives to Hattiesburg. And, of course, I cried for two weeks. Couldn't, didn't, I'd never heard of Hattiesburg and uh, had friends and was doing well in sports in Ohio and girlfriend. And uh, I tell people I came, here, came down during the summer and found a house. And on the first day of school, I was walking the halls, and I saw Hattiesburg girls also. And I said, thank you, God, I am home. Um <laughs> They were just all Miss Americas, and I, I thought this is going to be a beautiful place to go to my senior year of high school and, of course, stayed there and, and went to my junior year at Southern Miss and walked on the football team, walked on the baseball team, and played one year, one year, half years of both, and just had a bad left knee and kept hurting it. So I finally made the decision to try adult life and give up sports and just study and work and see what happens from there. Well, let me assure you that there's still a lot of beautiful women in Hattiesburg, Spud. So that, that some are. things don't I, change. I know there are, and I love it. Uh, Hattiesburg probably will <laughs> always be home to me. There you go. All right. So now I want to know, and there's so much to talk to you about, but how did you get in the sports board game business? Crazy. I was a banker uh, doing the adult thing and just wasn't enjoying it at all. And uh, I was watching TV one night, just uh, one of the sitcoms, and there were two kids playing the old iconic paper football, folded a piece of paper and sliding it across a, you know, a desktop and using their fingers for the goalposts and kicking field goals. And it just dawned on me that millions of Americans have either played that or they've seen it played. So the audience was there. I just needed to come up with a game. So I got down the fourth pencil and some paper, drew a game, and pretty much had the original version from the get-go and introduced it to the country in 2007, um, actually called Bus Cook, who is uh, Brett's attorney, and asked me if Brett would endorse the company. And took a year of asking, and Brett finally said, okay, and I flipped the Lambeau and had pictures made with him, and we got the NFL license and 70 university licenses. Introduced it at 34 mall kiosks in malls around the country. Um, in those 34 locations in 45 days, we sold... 25,000 games right at $1.1 million. And, wow. And obviously the company took off. And then 2008 hit and the world economy crashes. So we, we had to battle, but I hung on for 11 years until I merged with another company. Hmm. Great story. Luke? Spud, so much to talk to you about, like Bob said. And uh, I, I guess the where, where we start is at Southern Miss – what what people wonder is, you know, because uh, as they hear about your story, uh, you were uh, going through the Olympic trials, and, and people say, well, you know, he didn't do that at Southern Miss. Well, you couldn't do that at Southern Miss. There wasn't a track and field program. But you did, in your time at Southern Miss, play both football and baseball. That's correct. And, and the only reason I wasn't running track, which I had done in Ohio, was uh, there just wasn't a track team, and I would go over to Hattiesburg High and, uh, Coach Jerry Smith at the time, uh, just a great fellow who I'm, I heard recently passed away, but was a real mentor for me, um, just opened up the track and the facility and the jumping pits and the pole vaulting poles and everything. Because I'd never heard the word decathlon. I actually saw, I was working at Sears and saw Bruce Jenner win the uh, 76 Montreal Olympics, and I just fell in love with it. And I thought sports was over, but I went home at night, sat down with my parents and said, I'm going to start training for the Moscow Olympics. And, of course, they looked at me like, you need to get some medicine in you, boy, because something's wrong. You know, you don't start training for an Olympic Games at 21. But I was committed and uh, just started training by, ni- by in 1980. I'm like top three or four or five in the nation and world class. And 
things were looking good until Jimmy Carter comes on the television set one night and calls for a U.S. boycott of the 80 Olympic Games in Moscow. We'll get into that in, in just a minute, but when, like you just said, your parents looked at you and said, "No one starts uh, training at, for the decathlon at 21." So, other than what you had done during Southern Miss, before you got to Southern Miss, track and field really wasn't anywhere in the picture. Uh, one year, my junior year of high school, I pole vaulted and, and and won the league championship at 11 foot. But 11, you know, 11 feet and pole vault's not going to win you any medals, uh, even in the decathlon. Um, and so I checked out books and films and anything I could do to learn the 10 events of the decathlon. Now it was fast. I, you know, I ran a 4440, 9800-yard dash, whatever. So to become world-class in the decathlon, if you're not fast, first of all, there's no need to even start the event. And there's only so many people genetically built to do a decathlon on a world-class level. But I was just committed. I loved it. loved what I saw and, and felt like it was something I could be good at and Trained alone for a year until I did my first decathlon at the University of Virginia and went up there just to see if I was any good and set a state record and brought home the gold medal. And from there, it just got better. Hmm. Spud, where do you live now? What was the most? I live in Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia. and uh, hour and a half south of Atlanta. I got you. And in addition to the sports uh, board game that you uh, you told us about, and I played that as a kid, I, I know exactly. Sure, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Was that your only uh, dive into that, or did you uh, did you do some other board games as well? No, I'd never invented anything in my life. Is what's crazy, and like the Olympic Games, you know, all my friends said, "Bud, you you know, you can't start. You know, we'll see you in two weeks when you get this out of your system." I was an officer at a big bank here and had a great job and. It's, just, it's a bank in, in Columbus, Georgia. You just don't quit. I mean, it is, you know, mm-hmm. usually the local names get those jobs, and somehow Hattiesburg kid moves in and gets the job. And But uh, I wasn't able to use my creative side, and I just uh, literally just drew it on a piece of paper with no formal training. I'd never been a CEO of a company um, and just built slowly, and I, I think God just was right there with me the whole time. Must have felt sorry for him because things just sort of fell in place. Only in America, right? Only in America. Only in America, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly as right. many problems as we, we've got right now, it's still the greatest country in the world to live in. You can be whatever you choose to be with commitment and hard work. All right, we're going to hold you over for the second break. I, I know Luke has some more questions for you. We want to get into this book that you've uh, published as well. Sure. So uh, we're talking to Spud Alford, entrepreneur, athlete, author, Southern Miss guy on the Eagle Hour. More to come. To the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. 
Welcome back. Glad you're with us this afternoon. Bob and Luke from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmart and CampusBookmart.net. Our friends down on Hardy Street. If you're in our area of the state, you can shop firsthand. Listing in other parts of Mississippi or wherever online today, you can go to CampusBookmart.net and uh, browse their great inventory of Southern Miss apparel, accessories, what have you. And uh, they can have it delivered right to your front door. We're talking to Spud Alford, who's a fascinating guy, a Southern Miss guy who has been an entrepreneur, is an entrepreneur, author, uh, athlete. I uh, could go on for a while. Uh, I want to move forward in the conversation, Spud. I want to talk to you about your book, God, If You Were Real, An Olympic Dream, Cancer Nightmare, and Creation of Finger Football. Quite a title. Summarize the book for our listening audience. Well, the title... You know, when Amazon published this thing, I asked them, should I change the title? I'm just not sure that is going to appeal to a big audience. They said, no, absolutely, leave it just like it is. I was, uh, when I was training for, after the Moscow games were boycotted, I started training for the L.A. games and going to be yeah, Los Angeles in 84. And um, I was in um, my health club that I started there in Hattiesburg called the Olympian. I was training athletes around the city. And as though somebody took a, a baseball bat to my midsection and, and I fell to the ground and crawled to the phone, called my mom, and they came and got me and went to see a doctor. Wound up, I had very serious and advanced case of testicular cancer. And after they did the first surgery, they told me that they had found a grapefruit-sized tumor. And it was very, I mean, uh, it was very aggressive, very dangerous, had spread. They did a CAT scan the next day or two and found a grapefruit-sized tumor and came into my room that night with the x-ray and said, you've got about six months to live. And after everybody left the room and we had done all our hugging and crying, I was alone for the first time in a while, and I said this, God, if you are real, if you really do exist, I need to know tonight. And that's all I said. About 30 minutes later, this fellow by the name of Bobby Banks, which a lot of you guys know, uh, knew of me. We knew each other. He came walking into my room late at night. said, Spud, it's the weirdest thing. I, I didn't hear a voice, but I am certain God told me to come to this hospital and pray for you that he wants to heal you. So he prayed for me and left the room, and a few weeks later, they did the same CAT scan to mark me for a very dangerous surgery. Came up to my room that night and said, Spud, we don't get it, but that tumor is not there. He showed me both x-rays, and they said, we believe you do have cancer. We're going to do the x-ray. Uh, we're going to do the surgery anyway, so a six-hour very dangerous surgery. Stapled me together with 64 giant stainless steel staples, and when I could understand what he was saying, a few days later, he said, it doesn't look like you've ever had cancer. We didn't find one cell anyplace, so... You know, just as you can imagine, radically changed my life. And you kind of grow up and realize that uh, a gold medal is great, but the fame and the fortune and all that may go along with it is not the most important thing in, my, in your life. And it, it all came down to relationships. And God let me live, and I'll be a better son, a better friend, a better, you know, a better kid, whatever. And I've tried to live my life that way since then. And obviously, I forget sometimes and stress of life, but I've shared that testimony all over the world now for the last, 20 years or so great story luke spud yeah when you when you talked about that i was looking at your book and and uh you know sometimes the lord uses different things to get through to us and sometimes like Absolutely. you just said it is miraculous intervention and uh I, I was uh looking in the i'm a picture book guy you know so i did read some of your book but i was looking through the pictures and uh you know there's a very spry 1973 hattiesburg high school senior picture in here and you said amazing that i lived this long and you look back at your life um probably just wasn't cancer that possibly could have ended it in ended it but you look at your 65 now about to attempt another 
world record. Uh, it's pretty amazing how the Lord intervenes in our life. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I was pretty much a normal kid, and uh, just for some reason he had a plan, and um, I was open to that and open to always a believer. Just, you know, when you're training for the Olympic Games, you've got grander ideas for your life, and he needed me for another reason, and i um, grateful that I was given this extra, let's see, 30, 39 years or so now. Um, hmm. So I've, I've, I've stayed true to my promise, and I share, share the, you know, my testimony. I don't preach. I just I love people, and they generally ask me, why are you different? And then I'll tell them the story. Going back to some of the Olympic stuff, I think our audience is intrigued by this as well. You know, what, what was the hardest, I guess, to learn and the hardest event to compete in in the decathlon? Bob, by the way, just so you know this, he's a big steeplechase guy. Uh, he really well, enjoys that event. It, but yeah. uh, <laughs> what, rather, what for I'd you was the toughest parts of the decathlon? I think I had to do the steeplechase. Um, <laughs> you know, decathletes were kind of sissies. <laughs> We're, we're gifted, but we don't like pain to last too long. Because if you think about the decathlon, about nine of the events don't take but a few minutes. Obviously, it takes eight to ten hours a day for two days. But um, the 100 meters long jump shot put, high jump, 400 meters is, is a little bit painful once around the track. I ran it 49-2. I just wanted to hurry and get it over with. Start the second day with 110-meter high hurdles, which I did not really like. I love the discus. There was a pole vault, which I really didn't like because I was 6'3", 210 pounds, and being upside down on fiberglass, that, that's bent double. I've had them explode in my hand, and it's not a pleasant experience. And you finish with the javelin, and then every decathlete hates the 10th event, which is the 1,500 meters. I think I ran a 428 was my best, but it's, it's, it's two or three laps too many, and decathletes despise it. But it's, it's there for a reason, so... Um, a lot of decathlons are won and lost right there in that final event. How do you how do how do you pace yourself? I guess mentally and physically. I you know you got to be the top in every single event. But is there strategy in the decathlon? You know, if you finish second in this event, it's not the end of the world, or even third. Um, you just kind of rank those events based off your strengths so that you can uh, you know at the end come out at the top. That, that's a really good point, and uh, probably a lot of people don't realize that, is that you really don't have to finish first in any event. But you can't finish outside two, three, or four in any of them because every event has points attached to it. So, like, you run up, you know, 11, 100 meters, that has uh, 804 points. So if you screw up there a little bit, you've got to immediately erase it from your, your brain and don't let it screw up the next nine events, which that's that's the maturity in a decathlon. You just got to be able to manage the mess-ups. And then, you know, there's at the end of the ten events, they add up all the points, and the person with the most points wins. And, um, you, you know, you've got to manage your body weight uh, because you've got the 400 meters, the 1,500 meters, which you can't get too heavy. But you've got to be somewhat heavy because you've got the discus javelin and the shot put. And then you got to manage that as well because you've got the 100 meters and 400 meters and the 110-meter high hurdles, high jump, long jump. So I was 6'3", 205, 210, which is about what Jenner was, and it's pretty much an ideal size. There are people that have done it differently with bigger sizes or smaller sizes. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a difficult event. But, gosh, when you're hanging around world-class athletes all day in excellence and uh, roomed with uh, pole vaulters from Norway, Sweden, and Finland and 
I was able to train and learn from the best pole vaulters in the world and you know the best sprinters in the world. And uh, I just watched and listened and learned and did what I was supposed to do. Hmm. Of course, I was on a track eight hours a day for eight years. Right. Great stuff. Uh, Spud, where can we get your book? People listening to us might very well want to read your book. How can they I, find it? It's uh, it's on Amazon. It's uh, God If You're Real on Amazon. I, I, generally, I keep some. I, I, when I buy them, I just give them away. So I haven't purchased any for a while, but you can get them there. Um, All right, good deal. I think, I don't 10 bucks or something. I don't even know what they are. And, and when do you make your attempt to break the uh, record for the 65-year-old sprint record? It was supposed to be July 20th in Toronto, Canada, which would be, uh, I think, the 40th, 45th anniversary of the World Masters Games. You have to be at least 40 or over to compete. And then you compete in age groups, where mine would be 65 to 69, and there's, you know, 55 to 60. And uh, so I saw a video of the guy that broke the world record, and I thought, I just, you know, am I two seconds slower? I don't know. We'll see. I'm doing all the work. We'll just see what happens. Will we get to hold it? I don't know because people have to fly in from all over the world, and I right. don't, they haven't canceled it yet, so I don't know. Well, I tell you what, uh, if you do run it, uh, please let us know, and we'd love to bring you back on the show and uh, and talk to you about that experience as well. You've had so yep. many experiences, we can bring you back several times and uh, and start going down the list of experiences, but we've certainly <laughs> enjoyed our conversation with you today, and we'll look forward to talking to you again in the near future. Thanks so much, guys. Always great to connect with Southern Miss folks. There we go. All right. Spud Alford, everybody. I don't know where you begin, Luke. He's a CEO. He's a writer, a published author. He's an Olympic athlete. Uh, boy, what a life, huh? Yeah, one of the things we didn't get to that's really funny, he was telling us off air, you know, he was the uh, the South, what do we call it, the South Mississippi boxing champion i think that was the official title right and uh one of the things oh yeah the south mississippi golden gloves champion but the 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 key to that is he was he said he was so thankful because no one else in his weight class showed up (laughs) so he won by default (laughs) or as he said i would have been killed in front of my friends and family yeah what an interesting but but there is what yeah great, great stuff too and and some of you may remember that name his his brother Michael Alford was a free safety and punters are people too. Punted and kicked uh, for Southern Miss. War number five for the black and gold. All right. The book is called God, If You Are Real, An Olympic Dream, Cancer Nightmare, and the Creation of Finger Football. You can get it on Amazon and you can support a Southern Miss guy who's really living an extraordinary life. Spud Alford on the Eagle Hour. Kelly Santer making his way back from Atlanta, Georgia. will talk to him about his experiences there over the weekend also his son he sent me some video friday night his son living right near the riots in minneapolis Uh, he's okay he has left lots to talk to kelly about when the eagle hour continues Southern Miss to the top. 
back on a Monday. Greatly appreciate Spud Alford for joining us, former Southern Miss Golden Eagle. Uh, Olympic uh, de- what would it be? Uh, decathlon athlete. I'm not going to put uh, DECA and athlete together. You can do that. But Spud Alford, a cancer survivor. The book is God If You Are Real. You can find it on Amazon and greatly appreciate him coming on today. Luke and Bob from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. Kelly Sander joins us before Kelly does remind you that the third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by 4th Street Bar and Grill, home of the 895 lunch being served inside now. So go by and see our friends at 4th Street Bar and Grill. 895 lunch every single day includes a free drink. Kelly Sander joins us uh, on the way back. Uh, I think just getting back uh, to Hattiesburg. Kelly, uh, we, we thought that we were going to be seeing Major League Baseball in, in just uh, a, about a month, but there's been They've hit some troubled waters uh, over the last week and, and this weekend. Yeah, but it looks like it, the players have made a counterproposal, Luke. By the way, you know, I'm going to get to that in a second, but I'm glad you mentioned Mike Alford, Spud's brother, because Mike was a terrific athlete. And, and he, you know, not to be overshadowed at all by Spud. And, I'm, you know, Mike played, as, as you mentioned, was, a, was on the football team. But let me tell you something, that son of a gun could hit a golf ball, too. Mike Alford could. Holy cow. <laughs> he could he could rip a driver there at the old Van Hook golf course in Hattiesburg. Uh, so shout out to, to Mike Alford. But, yeah, Major League Baseball Players Association has countered the uh, owner's latest proposal um, with a 114-game schedule that would end October 31st. Now, if you start adding up the days between July 14th and October 31st, 114 games would mean nearly no days off. Now, there would be some doubleheaders sprinkled in there, which would help with, with some of the ease of travel. But generally speaking, the players are talking about playing every single day uh, with just a couple of days off between July 14th and October 31st. There's a lot of complications as far as, as, far as profit sharing goes, as far as uh, uh, salary goes for players who have a certain amount of seniority, players who have a, a certain... Um, salary to their contracts where they're, you know, they would gain a percentage. And, but interestingly, uh, the players have in their counterproposal put in there to where any player, if they are deemed at risk, uh, could opt out, could completely opt out of the 2020 uh, baseball season, which, of course, the owners probably are not going to like because, you know, many of the players, as you hear Louie the Wonder Dog in the background, um, many of He's those for the uh, players. Yeah, many of those players are are the guys who would be selling tickets because of their prominence on the field. So I would imagine that the that the that the owners would balk at that. But uh, but the players are talking. They want to play. They say they do, and as evidenced by this counter proposal, they not want to. They don't even want to play, but they want to play even more than the owners that originally uh, wanted. Mm. The owners originally wanted just a hundred games, but the players want one hundred and fourteen games. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, we're looking at a July 1st start date, but now the players are saying more realistically July 14th or 15th. But uh, will we have baseball? Um, it remains to be seen, but the players say they're up for it. Hmm. All right, let me throw this subject out to you guys. Uh, this was sent to me by the illustrious Al Holder over the weekend. An article so he's still in the, alive. Yeah, he's still alive. An okay. article in the Clarion Ledger uh, with Jeremy McClain. Uh, talking about the possibility of the possibility of doing what you said Iowa State was doing, Kelly, 
and that would be to have football at the Rock with a third of the capacity. 10,800 fans allowed in the Rock uh, for home football games. We're hearing more and more of this, and I'm beginning to think maybe that's what we're going to see in the fall. Football with reduced attendance in the stands so that people can sit further apart from one another. You guys, what are your thoughts about playing football in the Rock and only allowing 10-8 in the stadium? Luke, you want to go first? Go ahead, Kelly. No, I, I was just going to say, I think when we get there, that this that the that the COVID thing it's interesting because you and, and unfortunately our country is is at a very difficult time right now a lot of unrest across the country and you'd have to be living in a cave not to know you know what's been going on but it is interesting since since things have transpired across the country you hardly hear about the virus anymore and my my point is is that I think that come come kickoff time at the end of August now today is just the first of June obviously so we've got another full two months. Of uh, of take trying to three you know, really some, yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's right June July and the end of August right so I just think by then things are going to be better as far as the virus goes and I think that maybe some restrictions going into the season would sound good but I think as we get closer to the season they're going to be able to loosen loosen those and make no mistake it's better to start on the conservative side and ease your grip rather than the other way around so. I think that's a good plan going in, but I think by the time kickoffs happen, things will be a little bit loose, and I certainly hope a little bit more loose, and I hope that's the case. Luke? Yeah, I mean, in any fan or any group of fans is better than uh, no group of fans. I said it last week, uh, you know, you've got to honor your season ticket holders. They're the first priority. That That's the thing. Does it, and, and it's got to help this way too. You you would think uh, because the suites and some of the boxes. I don't necessarily know about the East Club, but because of the suites and boxes uh, or separated, you would think that those would remain open, which would allow more people to sit in the stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's face it. Uh, you, you've got to take care of your your ticket people. Who else has to get in the stadium? Well, you have to have, uh, I would think in some ways, families would have to be accommodated, players' families. I'm not sure what you do with the opposing team. I, that may not even be a, a negotiable. Uh, and we talked about this last week, too. You know, what about the students? So I think the priority is, uh, number one, season ticket holders and, uh, you know, circle of champions, people like that. I think you got to take care of the families, and I think you put students in the fans uh, in the stands before you even put the opposition. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the opposition would be at the bottom of the list. Well, this is one time that'll be but an they advantage purchase for tickets. That's, that's the only thing, though. What, one more thing about it. Yeah. That's the only thing, though. Students don't purchase tickets. I know it's technically built into their tuition costs, but you do get additional revenue. But what are we talking about? Are we talking about 1000 bucks, 1500 bucks? I mean, anything helps. But students would not be a revenue-producing ticket, correct? Well... I mean, like you say, it's built into their tuition, but, but part of the college experience is having the opportunity to go to those games. And the students, the students need to be able to have a place to go. I mean, they are currently the University of Southern Mississippi, the current students. So to, to leave them out in the cold should they want to go, I would think would be an injustice. Wow, it's uh, just all so complicated. Yeah, and, and because they are paying, essentially, to go. As it, as it is built into to their tuition. Well, so, all I know is that is that the students, when I went there, had a lot more college experience than the students that go now. 
because they don't. <laughs> they they leave at halftime now, man. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Oh, I thought you were talking about the seven year seniors, who I can certainly relate to. You yeah, know? you're right, though, of- Kelly. You if you you don't have much of an atmosphere at a college football game if the students aren't there. The great right. atmospheres you have in the Rock largely are when the student section is packed, and they yeah. just sort of set the pace for the excitement. I. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting dilemma right there. How, even though they're not giving you money, how could you have a football game without your students there? It just and you know, when you, when, you tune, when you tune in ESPN on College Game Day, it's all those ravenous, you know, those right kids mm. that are there that are crazy and partying, and it, it even makes us older guys feel a little bit uh, younger when we see those kids, you know, carrying on the tradition. Right. Um, you know, right. The, that's the current black and gold torchbearers. You know, we were in our day. But now it's up to them, so we've got to make room for them. You know, yeah. for and sure. th- and that, that's not to say that any of this is going to happen. That that was just right. speculation, uh, speculation in the article. But but you do see more and more of that kind of talk now. Maybe we have fans. Maybe we just limit the number of fans. Maybe we space the fans out. Uh, but I'm beginning to think more and more that there will be football on every level. Man, I I am sure. Three months to kind right. of sort through this and hope that these numbers will, you know, that the curve will be flattened or that the trend goes the other direction. Well, if we've so learned we, anything in the last few months, guys, is that we have no idea what will be happening three months from now. I mean, it could be, <laughs> it could be 180 degrees different either in the right direction or the wrong direction, right? And you know, and if I was Al Holder, I wouldn't even bother buying season tickets because at his age, he's not guaranteed week to week. <laughs> You're so mean. You're so mean to Al. And Al is such a teddy bear. Al is such a great guy. Al should just buy single game tickets, you know, instead of pressing his luck. I'll throw this out there. I had a close friend. I won't mention his name, but he told me last week, he said, well, social distancing won't be a problem at Southern Miss football games. (laughs) Who thinks that's going to be a problem? You could go sit up in section MM and some nights, Kelly, you'd be the only guy in the section. Oh no, the junior the junior high kids always kind of go up in the corners. In the corners, yeah. I think that's to get a better there, view no, of there, the field. There is that one. There is that one smart aleck, and they've been coming to the games for thirty years. You know how it kind of is like a bell curve in the top sections. There'll be this <laughs> one dude that's sitting on the goal line in the top of the eastern section, right, right in front of the in full uh, yeah. sun. And it's like he's trying to make a point. He's making it. a statement, Luke. That's what he's doing. He's hey, either that or either that or heavily medicated. One right. Of the two. All right. When we come back, guys, I want to talk to Luke about the Saints' football schedule and the number of marquee games that the Saints are being faced with here in the 2020 season. Luke, it's going to be interesting to get your reaction. It's not right. Throw well, I'm going to tell you flag. what. New Orleans has got some big time football headed their way. Uh, if we have football in 2020. We'll talk about the New Orleans Saints when we come back. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. Toyota of Hattiesburg brings you the fourth segment of the Eagle Hour every single day located on Highway 98 in Hattiesburg or online 
toyotahattiesburg.com. You can search their entire inventory of brand new, pre-owned, and certified Toyota vehicles, as well as others in uh, the the pre-owned section. But if you're looking for a new ride, 4Runner, uh, Tundra, Tacoma, uh, Camry, Corolla, Toyota makes some of the best vehicles out there, and let Toyota of Hattiesburg help you with your next purchase. couple of notes, guys. This is uh, really important for Southern Miss football. Jack Walker, who was the quarterback for Northwest Mississippi Community College, I uh, watched him this past year put uh, the Jones uh, Bobcats out uh, in their season early. He has committed to Southern Miss, a 6'3", 230-pound quarterback. Should be, according to my calculation, a redshirt sophomore. He's listed as a redshirt freshman on uh, Northwest's website. Originally signed with Georgia State, had interest also from Florida Atlantic. Last year uh, for Northwest, uh, completed uh, 147 passes for right at 2,300 yards, 20 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. So Golden Eagles add another quarterback to the roster, a a, uh, position, guys, that we thought was filled to the brim in the cupboard and have had three transfers out. So Jack Walker, the newest member of the Southern Miss football team. There we go. I've always been a big fan of his brother, Johnny. Johnny, his middle name is Red, too, by the way. Yeah, yeah Johnny, Johnny Walker. Yeah, Johnny Red Walker. Uh, yeah. This caught my attention today, guys, as I was uh, brushing through some NFL news, and I wanted to get Luke's take on this, Kelly. I, the, the Saints have what may be the most attractive home schedule in the history of the National Football League this year. They open at home against Brady, Bronk, Gronk, and the Bucks. But, it, man, it doesn't even remotely end there. In October, the Chargers are in New Orleans. In November, uh, the Packers are in New Orleans. The 49ers are in New Orleans. Uh, the Saints go on the road in November and get the rematch with Tampa. They have a home-and-home against the Atlanta Falcons. And the Kansas City Chiefs and Minnesota Vikings play in New Orleans in December. So that's... That is the Chargers, the Packers, the Vikings, the Chiefs, the Bucks, the Falcons, and the 49ers all on the Saints' home schedule, Luke Johnson. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at not just the home schedule, the second game of the season on Monday night, it's at Las Vegas. It's the first game that's going to be played in the Raiders' stadium. That's a huge game. So you start off with Brady at home, uh, Gruden on the road, Rodgers comes in, and then you turn around and play Detroit uh, on the road, and then you play um, the, the Chargers. So it, it, it's pretty it, it's pretty brutal. And then when you get down, you, you go to Philly, then you get Kansas City at home, and then you get the ninth richest man in the world, Kirk Cousins, comes in on Christmas Day. So it is a an extraordinary schedule. Um, I was, you know, I, I was a little halfway joking, whining about it when it came out. Uh, but at the same time, if you're going to be the best, you, you got to beat the best. And I think uh, you talk about. I don't think any other squad or team in the league has the elite matchups that the Saints do this year. It's pretty incredible. No question. And I, I guess I overlooked Philadelphia. You said the Eagles were on the schedule too. Yeah, they go to Philly on Sunday, December 13th. Well, that won't be easy. <laughs> That's not a pleasant place to go yep. play. No, it's what a not. schedule. Hey, guys, <clears throat> this go, go ahead and finish, but I've got some breaking news here. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say what a schedule, and uh, you know, kudos to the Saints fans. They're going to get their money's worth if they are season ticket holders this year for sure. 
Got some breaking news. Uh, this is coming from the Monroe News Star just about 15 minutes ago. It has just been announced that the Conference USA Board of Directors has granted Louisiana Tech the rights to host the 2021 Conference Baseball Tournament. What? That is just breaking. So the 2021 Conference USA Baseball Tournament, not it will not be in Biloxi. It will be in the brand-new Louisiana Tech Baseball Stadium. Remember, that was destroyed by a tornado um, a year or so back. Louisiana Tech was supposed to play some of their games in Jackson this year. So we will not be going to Biloxi next year for the Conference USA Baseball Tournament. It will be in Ruston for Louisiana Tech. Ruston, Louisiana? Kelly, Santa, Ruston, Louisiana is the place you're going to have the Conference Baseball Tournament? But Luke, Luke hit the nail on the head when he said, and, and certainly no disrespect to Louisiana Tech. I'm sure you have to make bids and, and make it financially, you know, viable for the conference and whatnot. But there's no a, a lot of that assignment had to do with the fact that La Tech got wiped out by that tornado. And I understand that. I, I, I totally understand that. You know, to, especially with the sacrifices that Louisiana Tech would have had to have made this year. You know, by going on the road with the love shack getting torn up there by the tornado. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with, uh, with that assignment too. And I, and I hate that they're not going to Biloxi, but good for them. You know, good for Louisiana tech. And well, it's not, you know, it's not that far for Southern Miss. Well, yeah, but you, you, trip. you can count Road on the fact trip. that overall attendance will be way down, way down from what it's been the last three years on the Gulf coast. And you talked about that, that great Saints schedule, not to change the subject, but they're not even playing the Redskins. Well, they, they, they've already got all the elite teams. You don't want to add another one. I mean, come on. Got to give them a break. You got to give them a break one weekend. Yeah, they don't want to. They don't want to tangle with Washington. And Luke, no, they'd only want. They'd want to play the Redskins every weekend. Yeah, Luke is relieved. You can just hear it in his voice. He's not saying a word. Oh yeah, he's trembling. Such an iconic there. franchise. So <laughs> iconic. Back tomorrow at one o'clock. Until then, Southern Miss to, to the, the top. top. I want to fly. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.